What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Down the Line. This is episode number 123, recording this episode on a Saturday. This show on October 21st, just before 2 o'clock in the afternoon here on the West Coast. I'm Kyle Betts, joined by Revan Honda, as always. We are so excited to get down into this week of sports, and uh, joining us is a uh, familiar guest and a great friend of the show here, and that is Andrew Finley. Hey guys, good, good to be here. It's been a long time. I think the last time I was here, I was telling Brevin this earlier, was when we were talking about the the rule changes in Major League Baseball. Now we're in the uh, the NLCS, and there's a team in there that I had a sneaky suspicion would would thrive with these rule changes. And once you know it, they're one of the four teams remaining. So I'm excited to talk about that. Yeah, I think the last time Brevin, you might uh, be able to check on this and and verify it, but. I think the last time we had you, Finley, here on the show was back in like January or February or something like that, like you mentioned. So, yeah, we're going to break down exactly that here coming up uh, with Finley. As always, great to have you joining us here uh, for another show. Let's get going here and let's kick things off with this. The Fast Five and our first point here is a championship that just happened this past week. The Las Vegas Aces claiming the WNBA uh, final championship for the second straight year. They got it in four games as of Wednesday, surviving a 70-69 to win on the road in New York. And they also become the first team since 2001 and 2002 to repeat as champs. The Aces had to win game four without two of their starters, so uh, they were shorthanded uh, without Chelsea Gray and Kia Stokes, uh, both with foot injuries, but... Asia Wilson did what she did best, and she ended up with finals MVP. Revan, what did you think of that? Yeah, it was just a hard-fought battle that entire game. I think the Aces were up 68-61 with less than a minute to play again. Um, or some, around that point. It might have been 69-64. And then um, the Liberty, they got five consecutive points. One was off of uh, a steal. Um, and so... Yeah, but you just saw that pretty much that pretty much came down to one play at the end, and um, the Liberty just um, had an opportunity to corner, but um, couldn't quite make that three. So um, the Aces are the uh, uh, champs. Yeah, there you have it. I mean, you, you see the Aces, you see the Golden Knights, you know, coming alive here for Vegas sports. I mean, Finley, what does that mean for the city now that they're going to have you know the A's? show up there now in, in just a few years down the road. Yeah, building a winning culture in a city is is really big, especially with teams like the Oakland Raiders and the Oakland A's who are, are coming in and they, they've been losers for, for decades, it feels like. I know the A's have had a few championships in, in the 80s and in the early 90s, and they made the playoffs. But, you know, creating a winning atmosphere within a city, uh, it, it should resonate with every team that moves into that city and you know, maybe Vegas is going to be one of those uh, dynasty cities, you know, like you'll, you see it in, in, in Boston with when the Patriots are good, the Celtics were good, and, and the Red Sox were really good. Now you're seeing it with with Vegas a little bit, with the Aces, and they got the Golden Knights, like you said. And if the Raiders can find a way, don't, I don't see that happening anytime soon. But, you know, we could be seeing uh, a new West Coast king. Coming up, I don't even—I wouldn't call it West Coast a West side of the United States king coming up. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Wilson, twenty-four point sixteen rebounds in Game Four. 
Uh, Kelsey Plum played the entire game, seven points, eight rebounds, five assists. Um, Jackie Young, 16 points. Um, so yeah, just a hard fought battle from especially those starters that played. Um, all five of their they had five players play over 30 minutes. Yeah, and shout out to uh, an RHS counselor, uh, that I that I've worked with a little bit, Mr. Plum. Your daughter's an mm-hmm. Olympic gold medalist and now a an WNBA yep. champion. Mm-hmm. So that's congratulations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, congrats to the Aces and all their players, all their staff. Uh, we even saw uh, Mark Davis afterwards dancing around. So yeah, he gets his ring even though it's not a Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. So that, that was something to see as well. It might be the only championship he celebrates in his lifetime. Yeah, it comes. Oh man, we'll see. Exactly. His funky haircut. The funny guy. The Raiders are a funny team. <laughs> Definitely. So, with the end of the WNBA season comes the NBA season beginning Tuesday, and we're going to kick things off with the Lakers taking on the Nuggets in Denver, followed by the Suns and Warriors in the Bay Area. Uh, Brevin, I'll start with you. It, at least to me, it, it seems pretty hard to believe that the NBA is already tipping off here in just a few days. Yeah, it just felt like we had NBA, um, just felt like free agency just began. And so now we're here just a couple months later and we're ready to kick out the season. You think about, um, we're going to see Chris Paul in a Warriors uniform for the first time facing off against his former team. And I think on, Wednesday, I think it is. We're going to see D- Damian Lillard in a Bucks uniform for the first time as well. So, um, plenty of new players, plenty of superstar players in some um, new cities this season. Yeah, I mean, those players on, on those new teams, I mean, it's definitely going to be odd to adjust getting used to seeing them on those respective rosters wearing those uniforms, but. Finley, I know you follow a little bit of basketball here and there. Is there anything that you're kind of looking forward to with this new season? Not really. (laughs) You know, I'm getting excited for college basketball, you know, seeing the NBA kickoff. um, It just means to start, you know, Aztec basketball is going to start up soon. And, uh, you know, I can get get behind that. You know, we just – it's going to be a a year right after a final season. So uh, I'm really excited to see what they can do. But as far as the NBA, I don't really have any input, to be honest with you all. That's fair. That's definitely fair. And speaking of our San Diego State Aztecs, who we are all uh, all the matter of, obviously, uh, we have the Aztecs being ranked 17th in the preseason AP poll. So that's notable. You also have the return of Lamont Butler coming back for uh, another campaign. And he's definitely going to be a huge catalyst for this team moving forward. And, you know, getting back to the national championship, of course, is tough to replicate, but yeah, you're completely right, uh, Finley, in that, you know, the start of basketball means that college basketball is shortly to follow. So definitely looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Me too. All right, let's get into our next point here in the Fast Five. Number three is the International Olympic Committee adding five new sports to the 2028 Summer Games. Obviously, those will be held in Los Angeles. So an exciting time down in the Southland, but... These five sports that are being added here include baseball and softball, cricket, flag football, lacrosse, and squash as well. And it, it seems like on social media, 
the main topic has been flag football. You know, NFL players weighing in, uh, former players as well, uh, kind of debating if they want to participate. But really for us here, when we were talking uh, pre-show here, uh, Finley, I'll start with you, is uh, squash caught a ride. Yeah, I mean, I... I honestly didn't know what it was when, when I saw it. That's why it caught my eye. I, I like all these sports. I, I'm surprised, um, you know, obviously baseball and softball, I feel like that's been a long time coming. It was there. They took it away. It's really good to see it back. Uh, cricket, I'm honestly surprised when the Olympic sport before, I'm going to be really interested to see the American cricket team. Yeah. I mean, I know I've, I've heard it's a big deal, in, or I've seen it's a big deal in India. And I remember – I'm like a little anecdote here. When I was like 16 years old, I woke up really early for some reason and I just had nothing to do. So I turned on TV and the only thing worth watching was the like international cricket championship on like NBC sports or something. Just some of, it was so exciting. I'm telling you guys right now, this being an Olympic sport is going to be huge. And I guess we'll see how good America is. Uh, flag football. I'll talk about that later. <laughs> I'm surprised the cross wasn't in there already. And squash, didn't know what it was. It's pretty much racquetball. Uh, it'll be a lot like badminton is right now or table tennis. Um, I think it'll. These are all. These are all going to be great additions to the Olympics, in my opinion. Yeah, Brevin, what do you think about this announcement? Yeah, I thought it was huge that you know we saw um, baseball and softball during the 2020 Olympics. Um, in Japan, so I'm happy that they're able to bring back those two those two sports. I mean, you think about, I mean, just how much the World Baseball Classic, even how much the growth that that just that tournament saw. Um, you know, you got to play games in Japan and South Korea and the United States, and now you're going to see. Um, you know, I think the only challenging thing though is because this would be the Summer Games, is how that's going to affect the 2028 Major League Baseball schedule. Yeah. Um, but obviously that'll come once it comes, but, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see, you know, whether it's going to fall like an NHL path when the winter Olympics happen every single year, but, um, or every four years, but, um, yeah, happy to see that baseball continues, um, as another Olympic sport. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, adding these five sports, it's going to be great to have, especially since these, uh, 2028 Olympic games will be held in LA. So pretty close to all of us here. All right, let's move on to number four here. And the Michigan Wolverines football program was once again under investigation back on Thursday. Reports came out detailing that after recruiting violations uh, resulting in a three-game suspension for head coach Jim Harbaugh, number two team in the country, now being investigated for the stealing of signs and signals during games. And uh, I, I feel like there's no better person to start on this topic than Finley here. Um, what do you think about just this whole report? You know, it's really interesting. I, I I haven't done a lot of research on it, but I did. Someone brought up a really good point, and it's why are colleges going to the like electronic, uh, the speaker in the helmet to to get play calls? You see all these teams with the big boards, like on the. Of course, you're going to steal signs doing that. Like you're holding up a big sign telling everybody what your play is going to be. Like. Coaches are smart. They're going to pick up on tendencies and, and they're going to look at film and you're going to see, okay, when they put up that, that means they're going to do this. Like it, everyone has film on every team. Everyone, everyone can pick up on tendencies. It, it's, it's yep. kind of, it's kind of 
ridiculous in my opinion. And I think NCAA should start going to the the little headphone in the helmet to to re- relay plays. So that stuff like this doesn't happen. Yeah, Raymond, what do you agree? I mean, what do you think about this this whole situation? I mean, it, it seems like Michigan is kind of under hot water, but just for things that necessarily aren't too serious here. Yeah, it'd just be interesting to see what comes back from this investigation. I mean. We know that their sign stealing isn't against any rules in college football. And so unless there's a specific way that they're doing it that's illegal, like let's say what the Houston Astros did during the 2017 World Series, you know, unless it's something like that, yeah, then that's something. But, you know, if it's, you know, just looking back at film where you're looking at the whole field and uh, you got the whole camera view, you know, and you're, you're you're just looking at one play and you're looping it back fifty times to figure out what that play was, you know that's that's completely acceptable. Yeah, I was just thinking like you're the number two team in the country, <laughs> or you're playing the number two team in, in the country and you're complaining about them stealing signs. They're they're probably just a little bit better than you are. They probably scouted you a little bit better than you did for them. Like, yeah, quit. Quit trying to make stuff up because you you feel bad for for losing. Like it, you played a good team. Just tip your tip, tip your cap. You can keep your weird controversies, you know, whatever to yourself and just play ball. Do better scouting. Be better. Yep. Yep. Sorry about it. Great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, move on. Number five here. Uh, we're going to stay with the topic of college football. We've had plenty of action here throughout the day. We're going to kind of recap what's happened so far here. Uh, once again, Saturday, October 21st here, our slate, uh, breaking down week number eight here. Um, let's start with what's happening right now. I mean, we got Washington competing, Washington State, I should say, competing with Oregon right now, 10 to 10, that game in the second quarter. Tennessee, 17th ranked team in the country, taking on 11th uh, ranked Alabama. Uh, Tennessee has a lead right now, 13 to 7 as things stand in the second quarter, just a few seconds before halftime there. Um, sticking with some other games right now, 24th ranked Iowa up 10 to 3 on Minnesota. You got 8th ranked Texas up 21 nothing on Houston. Uh, Michigan and Michigan State, that's a pretty big game later tonight, although Michigan is a 25 point favorite in that one. So, uh, we should. God forbid uh, they steal the, the, the team's yeah. signs. I mean, there you go. The twenty-five point favorites. Yeah. I mean, uh, they don't want they don't want them stealing signs out there. Sixteenth <laughs> um, ranked Duke taking on fourth ranked Florida State. That's a great ACC matchup there. Uh, Florida State heavily ranked though, fourteen and a half points in yeah. their favor. We'll see if that actually plays out. Um, Absolutely. We also got fourteenth uh, ranked Utah taking on eighteenth ranked USC. Each team with a loss entering this game. At the Coliseum, USC is favored by a touchdown here. That'll be a great game. Yeah. Both these teams cannot afford it. It's a great loss. game. Absolutely. Uh, a couple of the games that we've already seen today, earlier this morning, we had Ohio State, number three, taken on seventh-ranked Penn State. Uh, the Buckeyes coming out on top 20-12 to 12 in that game. Did you guys uh, see that game? And Did either of you have any takeaways? Finley, I'll start with you. Um, I, I caught a little bit of it. Ohio State was in control. Uh, 
for the majority of the game. Very defensive game. Uh, and then they broke away in the fourth quarter. Uh, that's pretty uh, That's pretty much the story of the game. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, Brevin, what did you think of that? Yeah, I didn't watch much of the game. I know that um just saw the initial reports and whether it's on X or it's ESPN notifications popping by. It was just um it was just a defensive battle. Um and it was uh Ohio State uh recovered the only turnover of the game on a fumble. Um I'm just looking at the box score right now, the team stats. Ohio State, uh three hundred and sixty five total yards, Penn State two hundred and fifty five total yards. So that pretty much yeah. thumbs up. Um it right there. Yeah. The definition of gritty, not pretty that that game was. Yeah. Um, another close one that we had was uh, sixth rank, six ranked Oklahoma. They came out on top, top 31 to 29 over UCF. I mean, close finish in that game, but the Sooners get it done there. Um, and another game I do want to touch on here is 22nd ranked Air Force coming out on top against Navy. 17 to 6. So Air Force leading the Mountain West Conference standings right now with a 7 and 0 overall record and they're going to go up in the rankings next week as well. Nice. We love to see uh, all in those rankings. Program best 94 yard touchdown in that game too. Yeah, that's that's freaking that's Air Force right there. They're yeah. like 90% oh, run. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that play, I think that 94 yard touchdown was on a pass though. <laughs> yeah, it was a pass. They had 48 carries and five passes the entire game. Hey, I mean, when's the, last time, when's the last time Air Force got 140 passing yards in a game? <laughs> More than half of that comes on one play. Yeah. <laughs> Unreal. Well, good for them. Happy for them. And uh, hopefully they came out They come out on top of Mount West. Uh, San Diego State playing later tonight against Nevada, who is winless. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. But Watch your fingers, guys. <laughs> a good game. <laughs> yeah. And they covered the 11 and a half point spread. We'll see. We'll see about that. The answer will not surprise you. It is no, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to some baseball now. And we'll start with the latest with uh, coaching here and uh, some front office moves as well. Let's start here with Alyssa Nacken has been interviewed to be the next Giants manager. So uh, if she is indeed hired by the team, she would become the first female manager in Major League history. Uh, Revan, what have you heard about this so far? Yeah, it's just been an interview, um, obviously, with Gabe Kapler uh, not being in San Francisco anymore. It's the interview process right now for some uh, who could potentially be a new manager. So they go in-house with, uh, Farhan Zaidi goes in house with this um, interview here and going after talking to Alyssa Natkin about how she feels and possibly maybe situations of what she would do in certain situations as a manager. Definitely. So we'll keep you updated on Giant Search for Manager as well. Um, another move that happened recently that this past week um, that really shocked a lot of people, including myself and, and Brevin, I know you feel the same way here. Um, is Marlins general manager Kim Ng uh, declining her options for 2024. She's leaving the team. Um, a very complex situation here, Brevin. Uh, do you want to break it down? Yeah, so I think how this went was 
the Marlins, their uh, their owner, I think their their ownership or something like that. Yeah. They wanted somebody, uh, somebody in a, they wanted somebody in a role that was higher than Kim Ng. Yeah. And supposedly Kim Ng found out about it, and then as a result, she declined her option and wanted to leave, which is really unfortunate for this Marlins team. You think about how much growth that this team has been through, especially since she took over um, three years ago. She got them to the playoffs this year. She built this playoff team now, um, you know, trading for getting those pieces like a Jake Berger, um, you know, at the trade deadline, um, you know, Bell. and to see, yeah, Josh Bell. And to see that this Marlins team, you know, it's just, it got a bright future, but now it kind of takes a couple steps back because of, now the Marlins are without their GM. Yeah, fin- Finley. I mean, it just kind of makes you think, like, what are the Marlins doing? Like, how could ownership do this? I mean, this team was trending in the right direction. Yeah, I, it's a it's a really bad move for the organization. And you start to realize, um, you know, people are leaving Miami. I think it was really interesting. Derek Jeter was, like, what was he, the owner? And, and he, he just left. Um Something is fishy in the water, literally in uh in Miami. It with these people leaving, and it, I just feel like it might be a, a toxic work environment in Miami. Uh, they got a pretty good baseball team. Uh, we'll see how good they are next year. We'll see who they hire as a GM. Um, but you know, Kim left really big shoes to fill. Yeah, absolutely. So we're gonna see how this team. Bounces back in that regard, you know, a, a big vacancy, like you mentioned, in that front office now. So uh, we're going to see how that's addressed. But, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we all agree here that that was a questionable move uh, at the very least here from from the Marlins. I mean, just just so many questions about their future now. And uh, it, it seemed like they were in a good spot. But uh, here, here, here comes change. And, and that's unfortunately how it is. So hopefully Kim Ng uh, finds herself in a great spot elsewhere. For sure, could be um, in a in a West team. We'll see. Yeah, you never know. All right, let's let's move on here to some Rawlings Gold Glove finalists. These were announced on one on Wednesday. Winners will be unveiled on Sunday, November fifth. So look, I'm gonna break these down here in like sort certain categories. So I'm gonna start with pitcher and catcher. We're going to go over the infielders, and then we'll go over outfield and utility as well. So let's start here. Jesus Luzardo from Miami. He is one of the Gold Glove finalists for pitchers. Uh, the Phillies' Zach Wheeler is also on that list, and uh, the Phillies' Taiwan Walker also on that list as well. So uh, you see some NL East representation there from those pitchers. You also have JT Real Muto from the Phillies. He's one of the catchers listed as a Gold Glove finalist. Also listed is the Diamondbacks' Gabriel Moreno and the Giants' Patrick Bailey. So a couple of NOS um, nominees there as well. Redmond, what do you think? Yeah, it's um, three good pitchers, three good catchers. One thing you're going to notice about the pitchers, both from American League side and the National League side, is you get two pitchers on the same team that are nominees, so it tells you how good these teams focus on PFPs, pitching, shielding practice, and um, just their ability to, um, you know, it's not just throwing strikes, but it's also fielding your position. I mean, you think about 
Greg Maddox and how he was able to be such a really good pitcher. Part of that is fielding his position and being able to get outs. And so, um, yeah, this is going to be a good test here. And then you, you think about the youth here um, and Patrick Bailey and Gabriel Marino going up against a veteran in JT Remoto. It should be a mm-hmm. – I wish the voting – the results could be announced, but I don't know if they will, but I love to see how much, how different the voters are in terms of, do they like what they're usually seeking year after year from JT Romoto or do they like um, the youth from Bailey and Marino? Yeah. Definitely. All right, let's move on here to the NL infield and a couple more names here. Uh, Let's start with first base. That's Carlos Santana from the Brewers. Freddie Freeman from the Dodgers. You also got Christian Walker from the Diamondbacks on there as well. Uh, moving on now to second base, we got some um, Padres representation on here. Ha Song Kim is filling in there first on that list. You got Nico Horner from the Cubs also listed at second base as a finalist. And another Philly on here, Bryson Stott. He's another uh, finalist for second base right there. Let's move on to... Um, Third base now, Austin Riley representing the Braves. He's on that list. You also got Ryan McMahon from the Rockies and Cabrian Hayes from the Pittsburgh Pirates. So Riley, McMahon, and Hayes uh, are your third base finalists for the National League. Filling in at shortstop, you got Francisco Lindor from the Mets, Jansby Swanson from the Cubs, and Ezekiel Tulbar from the Rockies as well. So, uh, Finley, I, I think it's pretty cool to see a couple of Rockies players on here. Yeah, you know, it, they, they had a rough year, and a lot of people think, oh, the Rockies, they, they just they just mash because they're at 50 or 5,000 feet elevation. <clears throat> but these guys are – they're all baseball players, and they, they're they showing that they can do do it at every facet of the game, uh, even though they're, they're, their record doesn't show that they're great baseball players. You know, a, a gold glove at Coors Field – you know, that, that says quite a bit. And something else I really want to point out is the the total representation of Philadelphia players uh, in gold glove categories. This is a team that got criticized for ignoring defense uh, yeah. when they were signing all these big players. And you're, you're seeing the results of good coaching and, and a good organization with so many Phillies representing uh, gold glove nominees. So Hats off to them. They're they're in the spot they're in, and they've earned it. Uh, I, I, this is something I noticed when I was looking at this list, and uh, wanted to give them a shout out. That was it's pretty cool to see. Definitely. Yeah, you think about Ron Washington with the Braves. You think about Bobby Dickerson um, with the Phillies. They're two infield coaches there. You know they know how to coach infielders. I mean, we see videos of of just like just simple two minute videos, and they're doing drills that. 10 year olds are doing that they're that Ron Washington's doing to um you know to guys like Ozzy Albies and Orlando Arcee and Austin Riley and you see that how much just the small work that they put in it translates to when they're on the field I mean you're seeing I mean even when whether it was Bobby Dickerson at San Diego or whether it was in Baltimore you're still seeing just the just the how much wisdom that he had when it comes to infielding you know whether it's how you want your glove to be when you're fielding the ball, you know, where that position is, you know, in terms of whether how high that ball is when you're fielding it, you know, above the chest, below the chest, you know, below the belt, um, you know, all those different things. And you're seeing that here with guys like Bryson Stodd and uh, we mentioned Rio Muto and Walker and Wheeler and 
you know, it just tells you how good defense is. And, you know, especially this year with um, the new rules being implemented this season. Definitely. All right, let's move on to the outfield now in the National League. Let's start with left field. Uh, Ian Happ from the Cubs, he is first on that list. Another surprising name I thought on here, David Peralta from the Dodgers. Good to see him still playing well, but the veteran uh, going there in his first year. Uh, Eddie Rosario, also from the Braves, is on that list. So Ian Happ, David Peralta, and Eddie Rosario are your left fielder finalists. In center field, you have another Rockies player, Brenton Doyle. You have Braves player Michael Harris, the second on there, and Alec Thomas representing the Arizona Diamondbacks. Those are your three for center field. From right field, you have Mookie Betts from the Dodgers, Fernando Tatis Jr. from the Padres, and Lane Thomas from the Nationals. And your utility players, uh, I like this one a lot here. You've got uh, three great picks in Hassan Kim from the Padres, Tommy Edmond from the Cardinals, and Mookie Betts on here as well uh, from the Dodgers. Uh, what do you guys think about uh, these outfielders? What kind of stands out to you? Uh, Finley, I'll start with you. I, I mean, as a Padre fan, I obviously love seeing Fernando Tatis Jr. out there. Um, first year back from a whole year off. Um, first full year in right field from coming over from shortstop. At first, it was a move that he didn't like. Um, but, and just as anyone would have predicted because of how great of an athlete he was, he he shined, and I I really think this is his award to lose. You saw how electrifying he he was in right field, and I, I I would I think there's a really good argument for Fernando Tatis over guys like Mookie Betts and uh, and Lane Thomas. Absolutely agree with that, Revan. What do you think? And uh, what are your other thoughts about these outfielders? When you think about right field and just those three players, I think it's between more Tatis and Lane Thomas because you think about all the games that Moogie Betts played second base as well at the same yeah. time in yeah. LA. So I think it's, I think Moogie Betts might be more of the favorite at the utility position more than in right field. But when you think about um, between Fernando and um, Lane, um, Fernando tied for first among right fielders and fielding run value plus 12, ranked second among. All outfielders with 27 defensive runs saved, tied for third with 12 assists. Lane Thomas was um, both right there. I mean, I think if there's one thing that Fernando had to work on, you know, through through his first, you know, since his career began, he would it would probably be the defensive side. I mean, we saw, you know, even just in his first year, having close to 20 years at shortstop, you know, and we see him now in right field and we're talking about him being a gold glover. You know, that's the improvement there. It's yeah. the mentality of wanting to get to improve and, um, you know, having that whole, you know, on top of being that and having that entire year off, you know, tells you just how much effort that you put into this. And it didn't just start from opening day. It started in spring training. Definitely. So I, I totally agree with you guys. I think, you know, just saying what he did, in that in the outfield, I, I feel like especially the last two months of the season, I mean, he was robbing extra base hits like crazy, robbing a couple home runs as well, I believe, in the month of September. So, uh, yeah, he, he played fantastic, especially, I think, near the tail end of the year. And he is definitely deserving to be on this list, and I wouldn't be surprised if he wins it too. In center field, you're going to see a first-time Gold Glove winner between those three and Doyle, Thomas, and Harris second. Harris second was last year's National League Rookie of the Year. 
Um, in left field, um, David Peralta is going after his second gold glove. Mm-hmm. Um, Ian Happ won last year's gold glove in left field, so just a couple of um points there too. All right, let's move to the American League now, and let's do the same thing. We'll start with pitchers and catchers here. Uh, representing the pitchers, you have Jose Barrios of the Blue Jays, Pablo Lopez of the Twins, and Sonny Gray also of the Twins. Coming out of the catcher category, your finalists are Adley Rushman of the Orioles, Jonah Heim of the Rangers, and another Blue Jay on here, Alejandro Kirk. Uh, Finley, I'll start with you. I mean, you, you see, uh, guys from, uh, multiple guys from teams on here once again. I mean, that just pretty much speaks volumes to, you know, the work that these guys put in. Yeah, every player that you just mentioned was on a playoff team this year. You know, that's yeah. just the importance of of defense. I, I want to look at the catcher position with uh, Adley Rutschman, Jonah Heim, Alejandro Kirk. Those are all really young catchers. Um, Alejandro Kirk, I'm I'm really surprised to see him on here. He was, he was really a uh, offensive first <clears throat> catcher, and yeah. at five nine, he he's like 230 pounds or something like that. You wouldn't expect someone like that to be a a great defender and people would see him and be like, man, that guy would be great on my a softball team, but I don't want him on my major league baseball team. <laughs> but he's shown that he can do it all. You know, he, he hits the ball really hard like you would expect, but he, being a gold glove nominee, that, that speaks volume to how good of a baseball player he is. And Natalie Rutschman, man, this guy's going to be so fun to watch switch hitter. That Orioles team is young. They're, they're exceeding everybody's expectations. And he's a catalyst on that team. Um, Quick shout-out to Jonah Heim, too. I, I really like what the Rangers are doing. They have a handful of really young catching prospects. Uh, obviously, he's not a prospect anymore, but he's a very young catcher. Two of them are switch hitters, too. I just noticed that. That's a little uh, fun fact. But all these guys are really fun, exciting catchers. I don't really have much of an opinion on on pitching, uh, pitching gold gloves because, you know, these starting pitchers, they come out once every five games and yeah. you know if you field your position once every five games good for you you're a major league baseball player um <laughs> you know i mean they all they obviously have to be better than than most to to be nominated but right you know when it comes to catcher it's the hardest position in baseball and yeah. seeing these young guys there it's really exciting to see yeah Brevin, what do you think about all those young catchers on there yeah <laughs> these are all good three good selections both are all three are going to be uh, whoever wins. It's going to be a first-time Gold Glover, just like we talked about with National League center field. Um, Alejandro Kirk led AL catchers this year in defensive run saved with seventeen. Um, Jonah Heim, we think about just we think about the pitch framing. We think about him controlling the bases. Um, the season had a plus thirteen fielding run value per stat cast that yeah. put him among. Not just the most valuable catchers in Major League Baseball this year, but most valuable fielders in all of baseball. So, and we already know what Adley Rutschman can do, both with the bat and the glove. I mean, I mean, we we just saw at the home run derby. He hit he hit home runs from both sides of the plate um, during that derby, <laughs> and <laughs> and so I mean, even though the offense isn't as much as this award, you know, you're still seeing. Um, the effect that he has, the relationships that you, you see with the pitching staff. And like like Finley mentioned, all six of these players were part of playoff teams. Yeah, great point there. No doubt about it. 
Let's get into the infield now for the American League. We'll start with first baseman. Anthony Rizzo of the Yankees is on this list. He is a finalist, as well as Nathaniel Lowe from the Rangers, Ryan Mountcastle from the Orioles. Second base, you have Mauricio Dubon from the Astros. You have Marcus Simeon on this list as well. He is from the Rangers. Andres Jimenez rounds things out from the Guardians. And at third base, you got Matt Chapman from the Blue Jays, Jose Ramirez from the Guardians as well, and Alex Bregman from the Astros. Those are your third base finalists there. Shortstop, you got Anthony Volpe from the New York Yankees. You got Corey Seager from the Texas Rangers and Carlos Correa from the Minnesota Twins. I mean, all great players here on this list once again. I mean, to be honest with you, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, all of these names are on this list. What do you think, Finley? Yeah, I want to look at Matt Chapman because there was a point in his career between going from Oakland to Toronto where people were like, you know, we don't know what's left of Matt Chapman, which is crazy because he's not that old. Um, Right. 30 years old, but he did have a little bit of a low in his career and he's had a bit of a bounce back in Toronto. It's really cool to see him here because a lot of people when he was in when he was at his peak in Oakland, are like, dude, this guy's like Nolan Arenado. You know, he can he can hit, he can feel it, he can do it all. And then he had that low, that little low in his career, and he he's coming back up. It, it's really cool to see that. Um, again, a lot of a lot of guys on playoff teams, a lot of Texas guys here. Uh, Alex Bregman is in the NLCS. Mauricio Dubon, NLCS right now. Uh, Corey Seager, NLCS or AL. All these are American League. AL, ALCS right now. And, again, just shows the importance of defense in Major League Baseball. Absolutely. You bring Matt Chapman and Nolan Arenado, high school teammates at El Toro. Uh, mm-hmm. Makes sense why you bring those two up there. And I, I agree. At similar points in their careers, um, you know, not necessarily on, on two similar teams at this point, but uh, to see them kind of flip-flop here, um, to not have Nolan Arenado as a Gold Glove finalist in the AL, but to have Matt Chapman as a Gold Glove finalist for the AL, I, I think that speaks volumes to uh, their performances this year as well. And Finley, I think you bring up a great point. He was pretty consistent all year round. Uh, Brevin, what kind of stands out to you about these finalists? Yeah, you think at first base, Anthony Rizzo, he's a four-time Gold Glover, but has not won a Gold Glove as a Yankee, so he's still going after that. Um, Brandon Lau has a silver slugger, but still doesn't have a gold glove. And, um, you know, same thing with Brian Mountcastle at second base, Andre Jimenez. He's a reigning gold glove um, candidate. And so, and Andre Jimenez led all American League second baseman with plus 18 outs above average this season, which was the third best for any fielder at any position. Um, Marcus Semien won, won the gold glove two years ago. And so, uh, was a finalist this past year. Mauricio Dubon is seeking his first gold glove. Um, you know, in Houston. And then you think about that, that third base, um, in the American League, it's three superstars right there. We, met, we talked about Matt Chapman, uh, two time platinum gold glove winner for the best defensive player, um, in the American League. Um, Alex Bregan and Jose Ramirez have both won silver starter awards, but neither has gold glove. In their trophy case, we know how both of defensively both of those two players play. And then you think about shortstop. 
you think you get some youth and you get some you get some experience with Anthony Volpe. Sixteen defensive runs saved to lead uh AL shortstops. Correa is looking for his second gold glove in three years. Um you know, while Corey Seager would be a first time winner. Definitely great names on this list here. Let's get into our outfielders and utility players. Our left field finalists, Austin Hayes from the Orioles, Dalton Barshow from the Blue Jays, and Stephen Kwan from the Guardians. In center field, you got Julio Rodriguez from the Mar- from the Mariners, I should say. Uh, Kevin Kiermeyer from the Blue Jays as well. And you have Luis Robert Jr. from the White Sox. In right field, your finalists are Kyle Tucker from the Astros, Adolis Garcia from the Rangers, and Alex Verdugo from the Red Sox. Your utility players are Mauricio Dubon from the Astros. He's on this list yes, yet again. Uh, Zach McKinstry from the Tigers and Taylor Walls from the Rays round out your three utility players. Uh, Brad, I'll start with you. What do you think about these names? Yeah, Stephen Kwan was last year's Gold Glove Award winner, so he's got um, that experience heading into this year, but it's a lot stiffer of a competition. Um, Dalton Varsho, um, who's now in the American League after being with the D-backs last year. Um, this year, plus 11 outs above average compared to Kwan's plus 9. Um, so that'd be a good competition there. Uh, left field, center field, I think, is another good battle. We think about how good defensively Kevin Kiermaier's been in Tampa Bay, kind of like how we just talked about with Matt Chapman, being able to revitalize that now in Toronto with his new team and um, Julio Rodriguez as well. Um uh, Kiermaier, Robert, and Rodriguez, top three center fielders in AL uh, by outs above average. Kiermaier uh, and Robert plus 13, J-Rod plus 12. So you're seeing, um, you know, two 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 really uh, young stars as well as a veteran um, center field. Yeah, Finley, I was going to say, like, that center field group definitely stands out the most to me. I think that's the most consistent defensive group out of all those those players I just mentioned from the outfield. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking the same thing. You know, you look at all three of those names, and you just think, you just think replay those, the highlight reels that you see all over social media from each – from all three of those guys, Kevin Kiermaier has been doing it his entire career. Julio mm-hmm. Rodriguez is is young, and he's been doing it his entire career, only two seasons, but one of the most electrifying players in baseball right now. Luis Robert, stuck in Chicago, but yeah, man, that guy is so good. I, I I almost feel bad for him because of how talented he is um, as a as a hitter and a fielder, and he's on a he's in an organization that. It's kind of a laughing stock of, of baseball recently. Um, and I, I, I want to look at left field as well. Um, Austin Hayes, Dalton Varsho, Stephen Kwan. These are all really good um, unsung heroes, in my opinion, of of all three of these teams. Uh, Dalton Varsho, I, I, I just wanted to bring this up. He was part of a trade in Arizona yeah. uh, this offseason, and the, the player that he was traded for was uh, – Gold Glove nominee uh, catcher Gabriel Moreno, so yeah. a real good defensive swap right there. I I think the Diamondbacks got the better of that trade, but Dalton Varsho showing his worth in that trade being a Gold Glove nominee. Definitely, that's a great point there. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on here to the National League Division Series. We had a best of five featuring the Phillies and the Braves. We 
Uh, kind of talked about it a little bit last week, but the Phillies ultimately won the series three to one here. They came out on top in game one on the road in Atlanta. That was back on Saturday the seventh. On Monday, they were back in Atlanta, dropped that game. The Braves won five to four, but that was pretty much uh, all she wrote for that series because on Wednesday and Thursday, the ensuing games of that series in Philadelphia, the Phillies pitching staff just shut, shut those games down. I mean, just allowing only three combined runs in those two games. Um, Finley, were you surprised to see the Phillies come out on top against the Braves? Yeah, I mean, I had the Phillies winning the whole thing. They, you know, I'm sorry, I had the I had the Braves winning the whole thing. Uh-huh. They they dominated all year on all fronts, and that lineup was just it was it was horrifying. Like as a as an opposing fan, seeing that lineup, like you had five guys, I think, with thirty plus dingers and and a pitching staff headed by Spencer Steer, uh, a dominant bullpen. And the Phillies just went in to their NL East rivals house and showed them who's boss. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that speaks to the culture that's in that Philadelphia clubhouse. You know, they, they have, they have no fear. They can, they can be any team on any given day and they just, they's dominated. It was impressive. Very impressive to see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just top to bottom there and Brevin, it just comes down to, you know, October baseball. Baseball at its finest, really. Yeah, it comes down to you know just which offense is gonna spark more than the other. I mean, we saw this Braves team put up five, two, one, eight runs this entire series. Philly did that all in Game Three alone with ten runs, and so you just see just the offense and who was stepping up at the plate and who wasn't. And the hot team, you know, this is the time you want to get hot, especially offensively, and um. You know, the Phillies just continue to show that, as we've seen now here in this National League uh, Championship Series. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, that, that's what it comes down to here, ultimately, is, you know, what team can get hot, and the Phillies have been that team. Um, speaking of that team, uh, we're, we're going to break down now the American League Championship Series as we get into – those series, the ALCS and the NLCS. We're going to start here with the ALCS. Uh, obviously, we mentioned last week that the five-seeded Rangers were taking on the two-seeded Astros. Um, it's been a great series to this point. The Astros hosted the first two games of the series back on Sunday the 15th and Monday the 16th. And the Rangers came in there, game one, they took it, 2 nothing, And we were thinking, okay, this is looking pretty interesting. Well, game two. Two, they came in there, did the same thing. Five to four victory for the Rangers, a two nothing advantage for them heading into game three on Wednesday in Arlington. The ensuing three games actually were in Arlington, I should say. And the Rangers have uh, lost them all. The series is now three to two in favor of the Houston Astros. Altuve had a go ahead three run home run in the ninth inning yesterday, that being Friday the 20th. In game five. So now the series turns to game six tomorrow. That being Sunday, October 27th, 22nd. The next two games, if game seven is necessary, will be in Houston, but game six tomorrow in Houston. Um, it, it's crazy to think that the Astros can just shut things down and, and just end the series tomorrow. Brevin, I'll start with you. 
how crazy that in one series we see the road team win all five games of the ALCS and then the NLCS we see the home team win all four games of that series so far and you think about even what last night provided us on Friday night you think about the three and homer that Adolis Garcia hit in the sixth inning two innings later gets plunked we don't know if that was intentional or not down four two um but I think it was Brian Abreu got ejected and then uh, manager Justy Baker got ejected because of arguing uh, as well as Adolis Garcia for igniting that um, confrontation. And then you see in the next inning, um, Jose Altuve hit a go-ahead three and homer um, in the ninth inning. I think it was his 10th go-ahead home run or something like that in the playoffs or his 10th postseason home run or something like that. It just it was just a back and forth affair. And then you think about um, in the night cap, the uh, Phillies and D-backs, a three-run eighth inning to take that lead. And um, the night before, you had Cattell Marte with a walk-off RBI single. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just the way they turn the things around here, Finley, has is, is, been astounding. And so now heading into game six tomorrow, I mean, what what's your ultimate prediction for the series? I mean, if it does go into game seven, if that even does happen, do you think the Astros take it? I mean, I'm not a betting man um, a lot of the time. But <laughs> if I were to put money on a team, it would be the Texas Rangers because oh. not a single team has won a game in their home stadium yet. And we're going to play two games in Houston to end the series. So um, I haven't been able to watch these games. Uh, I've been really busy. But, yeah, you know, these are two really good Teams, two in-state teams, two teams that that probably aren't big fans of one another, competing against one another, another and the AL uh, West. Yeah, they know about each other. Just it, it, you can't really write it much better than than this. The back and forth, and and it's in-state. You know, just there, there's a lot of intrigue in this series, and it, it'll be really interesting to see how these next two games turn. I hope it goes to a game seven. Yeah. I, I, want to see I, I think that'd be really good for baseball to see a game seven between the rangers and the astros definitely i'm looking forward to that too i think that's key here is you know if they can force the game seven because we we've seen it throughout the postseason october baseball is just a matter of when a team gets hot and so i think that could switch at any time we've we've already seen it in the series multiple times so who's to say it can't happen again I agree with you, Finley. I think I think anything is, is possible here. Anything is possible for sure. So we'll definitely let you know uh, next week what happens with this ALCS series between the Rangers and the Astros. But uh, the big series that I think I've been kind of following a little more closely here has been the NLCS featuring the six-seeded Diamondbacks taking on the four-seeded Phillies. Uh, these games all being played on TBS throughout uh, this NLCS series which is now tied two to two. It was looking like it was, you know, all hope was lost for Arizona after the first two games of the series. They were outscored uh, 15 to three in the first two games in Philadelphia. The Diamondbacks just looked dead. But game three, I think was huge for them. Going back to Arizona, playing in Phoenix, game three on Thursday afternoon, Gatel Marte hitting a walk-off RBI single, we saw a couple of pieces moving in that game, like Kevin Smith. Uh, he's performed incredibly well 
this series for the Diamondbacks, and that even continued last year for them. Um, when that offense needed to produce, they came through, and they proved it. Last night, a three-run eighth inning to take the lead from the Diamondbacks propelled them to a 6-5 to five win, and the series is now even. Uh, just astounding. And uh, game five is tonight at 5.07 p.m., so just a couple hours away. Um, I don't even have a prediction. I, I can't predict. I I can't do it. I mean, it's, it's, it's unpredictable. This has been a great series. And the Diamondbacks are proving why they deserve to be there. Finley, what have you thought about the Diamondbacks this entire postseason, really, so far? Well, the Diamondbacks were that one team I was talking about way back when I was on the podcast before where Bird. They, yeah. they're the team, you know, with all these rule changes, their team fit the bill for like being able to take advantage of them. And so being here, you know, I'm a little bit surprised they made it this far, but as good as they are right now, I'm not surprised at all. They got the talent to do it. They're young, the way they built their team. If you look at it with productive veterans, with a lot of young guys, and you have someone like Christian Walker, who's, been a Diamondback his entire career, who's also a catalyst on that team. The way they built their team is very impressive. And as for the series, you know, when when they were coming to Arizona, I heard uh, Tori Lovello, the manager, after they won that first game on Thursday, he mentioned that Philadelphia was saying, like, oh, man, it'll be, it'll be nice to celebrate in that pool. And they're talking about that yeah. pool that's in uh, left – I'm sorry, right center field at Chase, at Chase Field – and that put a chip on the Diamondbacks' shoulders. And so they're defending their house, and you love to see that. That's that's good baseball right there. Yeah, that's that's the matter of a good team and, and good coaching, like you said. Uh, Revan, uh, what have you thought of the Snakes in this series? Yeah, going back to Finley's point, the only thing from the field that went into the pool was Alec Thomas's pinch hit two at homer that he had yesterday. Uh, yeah. that was the highlight of that through anything. And um, you know, this matchup tonight, you get Zach Wheeler going up against Zach Gallon. So after a couple of bullpen games, um, Zach Gallon goes on the hill and faces Zach Wheeler. Um, should be two good pitching matchups. It depends on. I think the key thing when it comes to the postseason, it comes to pitching. That's how well pitchers can execute and how well pitchers can not just throw strikes but hit their spots. Um, because you throw a mistake and that's a home run or it's at least a base hit and you don't know what that could lead to. And two, walks are so pivotal um, and just how much they hurt teams in, uh, um, on a pitching side. And so being able to execute pitches, limiting walks is going to be crucial, I think, here as we now in a, be- a quote-unquote a best-of-three series from here on out. Right. Absolutely. So... I mean, do you guys want to just go for it? you guys want to give some predictions here for this? I mean, we might as well. Um, like I said, Game 5 in Phoenix tonight. Game 6 in Philadelphia on Monday. Game 7, if necessary, also in Philly. One's tough, man. Um, I'll take the Phillies in 7. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like that too. I, I wanted to say Philly in, Philly in 6. But I feel like Arizona, like I said, has a chip on their shoulder, and they they really want to fight in front of their home fans and and put up a dub. Yeah, but, you know, like you said, unpredictable. Yeah, 
I'll take Phillies in seven. Unfortunately, as much as I don't want to, I will. I'll still have the Astros in six. I think they win tomorrow at home. Hmm. You know, what? I'll agree with you. I'll I'll ride the the Brevin bandwagon for the day. I mean, even though um, Nathan Eovaldi's pitching for the Rangers, I mean, and Framber Valdez has kind of struggled. I mean, we just saw how good offense can be. Yeah. Um, you know, one crack in the back can really change the entire game. And so, um, I'm going to take the Astros here. Yeah, definitely. All right. We are going to take a quick break here. But when we do come back, we're going to break down the latest in the NFL, the latest thing that's happened this week. We'll also get into our fair foul segment for the week, and we'll break down fantasy football and a big trade that happened between Brevin and Finley. Uh, we're all going to break down our thoughts on that and a lot more in our second half of the show. So stay tuned. We will be right back. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Down the Line. This is episode 123. You're listening to, listening to the second half of our show. I'm Kyle Betts, once again joined by Revan Honda and our special guest, Andrew Finley, in our first half of the show. We broke down our Fast Five. We also got into uh, baseball, the latest there, including uh, what's going on with uh, manager movement and front office movement, specifically between the Giants and the Marlins. We also broke down the Rawlings Gold Glove finalists that were just announced on Wednesday. We also broke down the winner between the Phillies and Braves in the NLDS. Also broke down the NLCS and the ALCS in those series so far as well to this point. Now we're going to get to some NFL and the latest that we're seeing there is injury news involving Indianapolis Colts rookie quarterback Anthony Richardson. He is done for the year. He's having soldier surgery, and he will not be uh, back in a Colts uniform until 2024. Instead, Gardner Minshew will lead the way from here on out. Uh, Finley, we'll start with you. What do you think about this? Yeah, it's really unfortunate. Uh, really promising working campaign. Yeah. Uh, cut short. Uh, I think I don't think the Colts are out of it, per se, but... Um, because I, I like Gardner Minshew. I think he's a serviceable quarterback, and they, they've shown that they can they can go with serviceable quarterbacks in Indianapolis. They did it. I know it's a different regime and head coach, but I think it's a good culture. Yeah. Um, as far as that goes, you know, with making pieces work, they did it with Carson Wentz. They did it with Jacoby Brissett. And now okay. comes Gardner Minshew. Uh, I think Anthony, Anthony Richardson is extremely talented, really, really bummed that. He's going to be out for the rest of the year. Yeah, Brevin, what are your thoughts on him being out? Yeah, it's difficult. And so it kind of puts the Colts in a dif- difficult situation being 3-3. Three and three. They right now enter this week at um, number eight spot in the AFC in terms of the playoff picture. So just outside of uh, just behind Cleveland um, at 3-2 and two along with Pittsburgh at 3-2. and two. So, um, yeah, you got 
Indy at three and three. You got Houston at three and three. You got the Jets at three and three. You got the Raiders and you got the Bengals also at three and three. So this is a pretty interesting time right now, um, you know, for each of those five teams. And when you think about not having Anthony Anthony Richardson, you know, it's difficult. Um, and so this can be plenty of decisions that have to go in in terms of the the game plan without him um, for the remainder of the year. Definitely. So we'll see what the Colts are able to produce without AR at the helm and yeah. behind center. But uh, another guy who has uh, been battling injury for some parts of his career, and especially more recently, is going to come back soon, it seems. Because on Wednesday, the Arizona Cardinals designated quarterback Kyler Murray to return from injured reserve. So it appears he will be ready to go at some point in the near future. And reports indicate that they want to see him play and earn his spot to be the long-term quarterback in Arizona. Finley, do you think that's the right call? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to with the money that's being poured into Kyler Murray and yeah. the commitment that the organization made. I don't think he's a great quarterback. I don't think he's a bad quarterback either. But, you know, he, he's a t- really tough quarterback to build a future off of. Um, yeah. And from an organizational standpoint, he's the guy that you have to play. Definitely. Absolutely. I think you might as well at this point, especially when you're under 500 at this point, like the Cardinals are. Um, with really nothing to lose here except for a solid draft pick. Uh, Brevin, what do you think about this uh, decision to uh, play Kyler Murray when he comes back, and uh, how excited are you to see him out there? Yeah, I mean, you think about Kyler Murray, a former number one pick. Um, you know, he should be there and starting, you know, and unless they value that Caleb Williams is going to be better, you know, and they can try and play for that number one spot over Carolina, you know, that'd be one thing to watch, you know, over the next um, 12 weeks that we have left in the season. But, yeah, it's good that Kyler Murray's healthy. I mean, I remember last year when he faced the Raiders, had that wild two-point conversion in, in order to come back and win that game against the Raiders in Las Vegas. And, um, you know, we know the we know the capabilities that Kyler Murray has on a football field with his both with his arm and in with his legs. Absolutely. So we'll see how he does and we'll see exactly when he does return. Uh, right now, not entirely sure on a time frame per se, but uh, they're hoping that he will be back there within the next couple weeks. All right. We have two fair foul segments today, but we're going to start with our first one. And this is a move that the Eagles have perfected essentially, but no other team has had rep. No other team really has replicated the success that the Philadelphia Eagles have had doing, which is the tush push. And uh, for them, it's essentially, you know, a first down every time they get it. Um, With that being said, uh, Brevin, I'll start with you. Um, There's been plenty of discussion about the NFL potentially banning this. Um, But the tush push itself, uh, as controversial as it is, do you like it or not? I think I like it. It gives you, you know, as much as we talk about Jalen Hurst's rushing ability, a lot of that goes into the offensive line that Philadelphia builds, and it starts with their GM and Harry Rosman, and you know, it's that play design with, you know, we saw it last year with Shane Steichen and hit the OC, hit as the OC there, and we said, see that continue here, and 
Um, the Eagles lead the league in touch pushes with 17 this year. Only one has been stopped for no game. So 16 of 17, 93%. It's on track for what they did last year, just shy of their 93.5% success rate last season. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's, you know, it gets these teams creative on how to make plays. And it's, um, you know, I don't think you want to lose that creativity within the game. Yeah. Absolutely. And Finley, I, I think Brevin brings up a fair point, but um, there, there's other people making arguments about how unfair it is and, you know, just uh, how it, it can't be stopped no matter what you do. But I think at the same time, no other team has done it to the level that the Eagles have. Um, what do you think about the play itself? It's just a QB sneak. Yeah. We've been doing this for, for decades. This this is nothing new. Yep. Have the Eagles perfected it? I don't know. I, I guess so. The, yeah. stats, the stats back it up. They have a fast quarterback, a big offensive line. Any team can do a quarterback sneak. And the, what people are forgetting is that if you get into a third and short, fourth and short, you have to get to a third and fourth and short by getting the ball down the field somehow. So good, good on the Eagles for saying, you know what? We're going to trust our big old line. We're going to trust our fast running back and do a quarterback sneak and say F you to the defense that we're playing because yeah. we're just bigger, faster, and stronger than you are. I yeah. have no problem with the touch push. If teams don't like it, don't don't let them get to the third and one. Don't let them get to fourth and sh- fourth and short. Yeah, you know? exactly. Stop if you don't like it. Stop it. I agree, and I'm with you guys. I mean, that's just a matter of a good O line. I mean, if you if you get leverage like they do every play, you're going to win ten times out of ten. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much what they've proven to this point. So. I'm with you guys. I mean, it, it it hasn't been banned to this point, so why should it be banned at all? Football. You why can't, it, can't ban a legal play in football. How is that illegal? I, I don't get it. I don't. I agree. I agree. I mean, we didn't get mad about Tom Brady doing all of his QB sneaks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Now, now, we're, now, we're, now we're getting pressed. People are getting yeah. pressed about stealing big poster, like, ball play calls. Yeah. <laughs> and and QB sneaks. This is the yeah. football world we live in in 2023. It's crazy. It's madness. I I can't stand it. it makes my skin. Uh, football's getting softer by the year. <laughs> <laughs> we should play without help. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> pads. What pads? Back to leather caps. Yeah. <laughs> no pads at all. Head to head contact was a good thing. <laughs> I want to see football hits. No, no. Keep that out of the game. It's very possible. And we can see big hits too. Yeah. But never ban the tush push. That's that's what you can't agree on. (laughs) All right. Let's get into our other fair foul segment. And that's a three up, three down from week six. And we've kind of discussed this earlier, uh, who we were going to pick for three up and three down. Um, for the most part, I mean, we all have different options here, and uh, I think that we can kick things off with our three up. And Finley, we'll start with your first one here. Yeah, I, you know, this is going to be a, a weird take. Um, I want to shout out the Giants. They went to Orchard Park as <laughs> heavy, heavy underdogs, and they led for the majority of the game. That offense with Tarod Taylor, another hot take. Tarod Taylor is a good quarterback. I think he's better than maybe two or three of the starters that are in the NFL right now. Yeah. He, he, he's not 
he's not going to light up the scoreboard, but he managed that football game so well. He went 24-36, 200 yards, no turnovers by this offense that has a terrible, or yeah, pretty bad offensive line, a really banged up offensive so line. So bad, so bad. So it, 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 like, they're bad because they're injured. I, I know Andrew Thomas has been out all year. He's their catalyst on that offensive line. Um, but they went to Orchard Park, and they were beating the Buffalo Bills, the big, bad Buffalo Bills. I know that they were 3-2 and two going into the game, but they're still a really good football team. You yeah. know, that defense held them to 14 points with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, and my hat goes off to the Giants. They're 1-5, but I love that head coach. I think they're going in the right direction. They, they're getting Saquon back. Their own line should be coming back soon. They got a pretty favorable matchup against the Commanders this weekend, which should actually be a pretty good game. You know, two NFC East teams that are that are bottom dwellers, but are are, are proven they can do good things and bad things. Um, my hat goes off to the Giants with Terod Taylor in Orchard Park. I like that take. That's a great take there. Um, and and you have the stats to defend it as well. So. Very respectable. Revan, do you want to go ahead and give your first three-up pick? Yeah, first one I'm going to go here. I'm going to go with um, Travis Etienne here. Yo, he's been the catalyst for really that offense um, up in down in Jacksonville. I mean, this is a Jacksonville team, if you include what happened on Thursday night. This is a team that just capped off four wins in a 19-day stretch. Um, you know, getting wins at home, you know, three straight, or really, what is that? Oh yeah, two of those games were in, um, in London. But wins against Atlanta, beating Buffalo, who we just talked about with the Giants, um, beating Indianapolis, and then you beat beat the Saints in the dome. And Travis Etienne's been the whole catalyst behind that. You know, two touchdowns in each of his last three games, including, um, including on Thursday night, but against the Colts in that thirty-seven to twenty win. Um, you know, two touchdowns there. He's just been um so big there, even when Trevor Lawrence just struggled at times um this season. Definitely. I'm gonna move up to my first three up selection, and it's gonna be the Browns. I think coming off a huge win against the 49ers last week is exactly what they needed to go above five hundred right now, three and two overall record, giving the Niners their first loss of the season. I know we'll speak about it later here during this fair or foul segment, but um, I do want to touch on this Browns defense that has looked fantastic over the course of the year. A huge signing that they had was Rodney McLeod, the uh, veteran stepping in there alongside Grant Delpit in that secondary. They've looked fantastic. And when you get a couple guys getting sacks in that game, like Jeremiah Owusu-Kormoa and Sion Takitaki, you got Miles Garrett wreaking havoc all game as well. I mean, that's exactly what you need to do disrupt a good offense like the Niners and they did it so great game from them uh hopefully they can continue to keep it up defensively um Finley I know that you were going to speak on the Browns as well for your next three up selection yeah um shout out to the Browns they they were without Deshaun Watson again um he was battling injury PJ Walker got the call and did not he didn't have a great game but they ended up getting the win you know that at the end of the day that that's what matters in the NFL. And I'm going to talk about it later, but you know, you got these big, bad 49ers, one of the best teams in the NFL coming into your house. And you know, the, the Browns 
I mean, honestly, they, they got a little lucky, which in the NFL, you need a little bit of luck. Um, a missed field goal at the end by the 49ers uh, sealed their fate. But competing with this 49ers team without their quarterback, morale could have been low, and the team could have come out and has been like, you know what? So 49ers, if we lose, it's whatever. But but they fought all four quarters. They they had a lead when they needed it, and they ended up getting the dub. So shout out to the Cleveland Browns. Great pick there. Revan, you want to go ahead and give your next selection? Yeah, we go from Cleveland down to Miami. We're talking about the Dolphins here. The Dolphins, one of the probably the best offense in football this season, averaging Nearly 500 yards a game. No, we're not talking about Big 12. We're talking about Miami. We're not talking Miami Hurricane football. We're talking you know, Miami Dolphins football. Averaging 498.7 yards per game. Uh, That's 316 through the air. Another 180 per game on the ground. And this team has scored. Averaging 37 points per game. It's been to Otago by Loa. Kyle, I know you're going to talk about Tyreek Hill. It's been the running back duo of Devon Chain and Raheem Mostert. You know, even though Devon Chain's um, been hurt over the last couple of weeks, you know, it's just been all these different pieces that have helped make this Dolphins team be where they're at in terms of uh, in the standings to be at the top of the AFC East and five and one ahead of the Bills and, um, you know, making that case, especially as this Dolphins team heads into taking on the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday night. Yeah, I think you agree a great point there. I mean, the Dolphins, they look good as a team. And Tyreek Hill, as you mentioned, been a great shapeshifter for them all season long. And even last year, too. I mean, that's just what he's done his whole career. But last week, I was really impressed because um, he only played 24 snaps. But he still ended up with 163 receiving yards in that game. And he, he dealt with some cramps in the game, I believe. So he was kind of limited in that game. But um, per route run, he averaged a little more than six and a half yards per route run, not even per catch. I mean, just a ridiculous stat there. And if you give that guy some open space, I mean, you're just you're just done. And he is a great reason why that offense thrives. All right, Finley, we're going to move on to your last uh, three-up pick here, and I kind of like it as well. Yeah, shout-out to the Houston Texans. They're sitting at 3-3 three and three right now, but there's a lot of great things to like about the Texans when they're – in the last two or three years, there really hasn't been much to like, and the biggest thing is C.J. Stroud, who threw his first interception of his career – I mean, it's been one season, but – First interception of his career last week against the New Orleans Saints, who have a one of the better defenses in the NFL, put up two touchdowns and and led his team to a to a big win. Uh, overall, this team has been performing really, really well. A lot of receivers stepping up, like Nico Collins, uh, Trey Dell, Robert Woods, Dalton Schultz coming over from the Cowboys. He's producing. Um, the rushing attack hasn't been great. But when you got C.J. Stroud performing as good as he's been performing, it, it doesn't matter how good you run. You're scoring touchdowns one way or the other. And and this is a defense that is keeping their team in the game. Uh, they they took down the the Steelers. They only allowed them six points uh, to them. 
couple yeah. weeks ago, 13 to the Saints last week. Uh, this is a it's an exciting young team, and I think more people should be talking about them. So shout out to the Texans. I agree. That is a pretty solid young team there. And another solid young player you have here for your 3F selection here, Brevin. Yeah, give me the Sun God. Um, Playing the former USC Trojan, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, without, you know, most of last week, without, um, you know, without um, David Montgomery for most of that game, who left with what turned out to be rib injuries. Last week puts up um, 12 catches, 15 yards, 120, uh, 12 catches, 15 targets, 124 yards, and touchdown um, within that 20 to 6 win. And this is a, this is a Lions team that's four and one. I've talked about them before in the past, um, early in the season, obviously after that, one point victory against the reigning champs at Arrowhead Stadium. Um, you know, it's this is why you're the number one, and he's proven to be, uh, you know, definitely a for sure number one wide receiver on his team, and definitely one of the top wide receivers in the NFL. Absolutely, no doubt about that. He is incredible. He's so explosive. My last selection for my three up here is going to be the Baltimore Ravens O line. Uh, I mean, they look good all year long, and that's what they pride themselves on, the Ravens do, is how they play down the trenches. And it's not only the run game that they're usually successful at. I mean, they they struggle a lot of times in the past game, but not last week. Because Kevin Zeidler, Morgan Moses, and Tyler Lindebaum, they each allow only one uh, pressure in pass protection. The Ravens also average 4.2 yards per carry against the Titans leading to a win for them. And uh, the Ravens are just a team of consistency. And if they have guys that can do it down low, that's all that matters. So I got the Ravens O-line as one of the top units of the week here for my three up. All right, we're going to move to our three down now. And we're going to start with Finley here once again. Yeah, I'm my, my first down is the Philadelphia Eagles in week what was it? Yeah, week six. Uh, going up, going into New York, uh, a team that hasn't had the best luck this year. They lost Aaron Rodgers on like the third play of the game, and been relying on Zach Wilson. And they've had they've had some quality wins, but when you're the Philadelphia Eagles, you're the five and zero Philadelphia Eagles going up against the New York Jets, who haven't they haven't been the best offensive team, and you got one of the best offensive teams. You got to put up points. Yeah, and what the Eagles ended up turning up was turnovers. They had four in the game, and one of them cost them the game. With as many weapons as you have as the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, Jalen Hurts being two and one with how he can run, and we talked about the tush push. Um, and you got wide receivers like um, like Brown and Devonta Smith, Dallas Goddard at tight end. You got Swift at running back. There should be you should be unpredictable on offense and. Yeah. You know, coughing up the ball three times, that's how you lose football games. And, you know, it's not a good look for the Philadelphia Eagles uh, turning over the ball that many times. Definitely. All right, Brevin, you want to go next? Yeah, I'm going to go here with the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, They had a prime opportunity to win last week on Monday Night Football. 
and they kind of just charged themselves away from doing that. Um, I I know you're going to talk about Justin Herbert, but I mean, you think about the opportunities that they had, they just couldn't quite get them. And now they're two and three. And we're going to talk about this among our week seven sleep, but this is a charge team that now has to go to Arrowhead, take on the Chiefs. And you definitely don't want to be two and four. And when you look at right above them in the standings, you got the Raiders. They're going to Chicago to take on the Bears. And so I feel like this is a Chargers team that's got to be able to turn around despite this tough schedule that they've got, you know, in this stretch right now. But this Chargers team just hasn't played the expectations, especially especially when you think about the contracts and how much money they gave Justin Herbert during the offseason. Yeah, I got Justin Herbert as my next point. And you said, I mean, just hasn't looked great these past couple games. I mean, when you think about the first three games of the season – his completion percentage was 66% or higher, but he's been in the 50 range these past couple games. And he just hasn't looked himself really since the beginning of October. Um, it, it felt like last game, especially against the Cowboys, you know, it really felt like he wasn't getting his feet set in the pocket. He looked pretty uncomfortable all night long. And he was just forcing stuff. And I, I don't know what it was, but it, he just had a few more incompletions than it seems like he's usually had. Um, in that game and just uh, it just seemed like he, he wasn't at his best back then just because he, he just was thrown in double coverage and, and not, not going to the flats, I think, as much as he should have. All right, we're going to move on now to Finley, your next three down selection. Yeah, I got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who came into their, their, their fifth game of the season against the four and one Lions and, it was played in Tampa Bay, and this was a this was a test for them. You know, they were three and one going into here. Uh, their wins were against the Vikings, the Bears, and the Saints, three teams that aren't particularly great. And now, and their one loss was to the Eagles, who had been really, really good up to that point. Uh, so, playing at home against a, a a good Lions team was a good test for them, and yeah. They they were really disappointing. Uh, Baker Mayfield, who I'm a fan of, couldn't find his receivers, couldn't find Mike Evans, couldn't find Chris Godwin. They couldn't get a run game going. And I think that this is a sign of who the Buccaneers really are. I, I think they're, they are they beat the teams they should beat, but they're not going to beat uh, one of the better teams in, in the NFL like the Lions or the Eagles. I agree. Uh, Brevin, what's your next selection here for your second three down? Yeah, I'm going to come back to the NFC South in a sec, but I'm going to talk about this NFL by schedule. I mean, in week six, we only had the Packers and the Steelers on by. And this week here in week seven, we got six teams on a by. <laughs> Something's not quite working. I mean, later, I think it's week 13. We're going to have another six teams on by. And on top of that, in week 10, they're going to have the four teams that are on by. You have the Chiefs, you have the Rams, you have the Dolphins, and the Eagles all on and by. <laughs> and when you think about viewing audiences, all these teams, or you can at least say three of these teams, are teams that people want to watch. Right. And to have all four of these teams not play in one week of the year in week 10, on top of six teams not playing in week 7 and 13, Yeah, I think there's got to be some way you switch up and have and equally schedule, uh, equally schedules, uh, for bye weeks 
Um, you know, you have 32 teams, you got eight weeks of buys. Yeah. You just have four, four, four teams on a buy um, from weeks five to 13. Right. And that's the thing because, you know, funny enough, you, you mentioned that, Brevin. You know, I, I got a thing from, I, I, I bought the pizza last night from Round Table. And when I bought this pizza, they gave me this little slip that said, uh, NFL schedule weeks one through nine. And it had every single game on there, the time and everything. And they had bye weeks on there as well. And it said, uh, week eight, no bye weeks. I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty odd. Like you would think there would be at least a couple on there, but, uh, I agree. It's, it's interesting how they don't disperse the bye weeks evenly. Also, there's no bye weeks in week 12. Yeah. I think week 12, is that week 12 Thanksgiving? Yeah, week 12 is Thanksgiving, but still. I guess that makes some sense, but yeah. yeah. And so, when week 8 is just before the trade deadline, but even then. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's a good point there. My second uh, point for my three down is going to be the Buccaneers as well. I don't really have to expand on what Finley said because I think he nailed it. Um, other than... After the game, uh, Baker Mayfield had a press conference and he said, I sucked. So yeah, I pretty much that, that recaps the whole game right there. So yeah, <laughs> it's not, just not good enough offensively for them. Um, I have, uh, Rashad White in a fantasy dynasty league. So, uh, we're, we're hoping he pans out there <laughs> for the Buccaneers offense. And we, we, we hope they get better because. I mean, that NFC South is pretty much wide open right now. All right, uh, Finley, we'll go back to you for your last point. Yeah, my last pick for the down is Brock Purdy uh, of the San Francisco 49ers. suffered his first loss of his career in the regular season against the Cleveland Browns, and it was really telling, you know, they the 49ers – got Christian McCaffrey and it's like well any quarterback can thrive in that system now you know you got Debo Samuel you got Brennan Ayuk George Kittle you had Elijah Mitchell already in that backfield who's pretty good um any quarterback should do pretty well and they had Jimmy G in that system at the time and he was doing good until he got hurt and then it was the Brock Purdy show Mr. Irrelevant and he comes in and and he's kicking butt he's he's showing people like yeah I was Mr. Irrelevant but so what I'm getting these guys to the to the NFC Championship game. And they lost to the Eagles, and the Eagles were a good team. He got hurt in that game. But it was really telling when Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel went out that Debo Samuel just yeah. wasn't, wasn't who he was uh, all these in all those other games that he won. Uh, and it will be really interesting to see uh, how good he is with without some of his weapons uh, coming up. So, Rock Party, you're being put under the microscope right now. And, uh, <laughs> you know, everyone has one Everyone has one bad game. But this was telling. 125 total passing yards on the game. Not not good for Rock Party. Yeah. All right, Brevin, you want to go ahead? Yeah, before I do, uh, Adam Schefter with a tweet from ESPN uh, Finley, you just talked about the Browns without Deshaun Watson. Adam Schefter from ESPN just tweeted, uh, Browns QB Deshaun Watson listed as questionable for Sunday is tracking to play against the Colts, but also needs to pass his pregame warm-up test before the team signs off on it per sources. That is interesting because 
uh, a lot of reports have said that he, he they weren't expecting him to play. So mm-hmm. having him be a game time decision is uh, that's interesting. And yeah. and I think if he does play, it'll be great for the Browns. But if they don't, I, you know, the the Browns have shown me that that they'll fight in any game. So yeah. it'll be just interesting. Heads up to yeah. all of our listeners who've got Sean Watson, especially on their fantasy teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going back to our three down. Um, you talked about both of you guys have talked about the Bucks. I'm gonna talk about the Saints here. You know, they just haven't really gelled the way we kind of expected, and I think that's just the growing pains of having a new quarterback in their system. Um, in Derek Carr, um, you know, we saw some times where Chris Olave um kind of quit on his on his route that he ran last, whether it was last night, and so it. Um, Derek Carter is doing downfield and it's just not on the same page. And so um, just right now, the Saints are kind of in those growing pains of trying to get on the same page um, between quarterback and receiver, offensive line, the running backs, you know, all those different things. Yeah. Great pick there. I agree. Uh, I'm going to end things off here with our, my three down with the Broncos offense and yeah, sure. This has not been the problem this year for the Broncos by any means or offense, but last week it was. I mean, they held their own. I think in the past couple weeks, the Broncos defense has only allowed, I believe, three touchdowns in that span. So a significant improvement to where they were earlier this year, at least defensively. But it was the offense this time that was the problem. And uh, Russell Wilson on Thursday night football against the Chiefs did not look good once again. Uh, couldn't even hit the 100-yard benchmark for passing. So uh, there's that. Mind as he says that. <laughs> there's that. And uh, they couldn't establish the run, unfortunately. Uh, they, and they attempted to, and, and then they, they did have success. But the way the game was going, they were behind pretty much the whole way. And uh, it was just unfortunate to see, especially when your defense does such a great job to hold the Chiefs to so many field goals, the Chiefs of all teams. Broncos have now lost 16 in a row to the Chiefs. <laughs> and you are dying inside. <laughs> Correct. Kyle went from painting his face orange and blue to not even his face being red without painting it. To the paper bag. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So All right, we're going to move on now to our week seven slate of NFL games. We got three on tap and first two games. Uh, first game we're going to talk about comes from uh, two teams we talked about during our three up, and that is the five and one Detroit Lions traveling to Baltimore to take on the four and two Ravens. This is a Sunday 10 a.m. game on the West Coast. Um, Kyle, what do you see in this game? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's going to be close, no matter what happens. But um, I think the Ravens hold their own. I don't know why. I just feel like they're, they're going to be able to establish a run early. And I think that's what's going to be important. Get the Gus bus going and everything will be okay. Um, I like them being at home. And uh, I mentioned their O-line earlier. I, I think they're due for another big performance here. Mm-hmm. Billy, how do you see uh, this Lions-Ravens game playing out? Yeah, I mean, I, I can honestly see this. Be, it, even though these two teams have really good offenses, I can see this being a defensive game. Yeah. Um, they can have a stout defense. The Lions have one of the best defenses in the NFL. Um, it'll come down to who makes the least amount of mistakes. I really think so. Um, if the, whoever turns the ball over late, 
with with a one possession game like I predict this is going to be, that'll be the difference in the game. It, it could come down to a field goal with seconds to go. This is a really good game right here. It's going to end like how this matchup these two teams faced last time two years ago with a 66-yard field goal from Justin Tucker. <laughs> yeah, man. Wouldn't that be something? I mean, yeah, off the crossbar. In it would be it's going to be outside because it's going to be in Baltimore. So there, yep. there will be wind. We'll see how good Justin Tucker is uh, a few years later uh, from mm-hmm. that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next game uh, in the next slot, the uh, 125 slot, 425 on the East Coast. You get the Chargers, we talked about within our three down, taking on the uh, Kansas City Chiefs at five and one at home. How do you see this one playing out, fellas? Well, yeah. I think it'll, go ahead. Thanks, sorry about that. Um I I think it'll be an entertaining game, but I think the result will be obvious. The Chargers I've been watching them my entire life. Um <laughs> like it's gonna be a competitive game. Uh Chargers are gonna keep it close. They might even be leading with a minute to go, and the Chiefs are are gonna win the game. That's what's gonna happen. Well, I I think the big question here is, is Taylor going to be there? Is she going to be there? We need oh, yeah. to be there. I didn't even think about that. That that changes everything. We have to know if she's going to be there. We have to know. We have to. I'm, You'll see her in the first five seconds of the broadcast if she's there. I am on the edge of my seat right now. I'm <laughs> I'm anticipating. And nobody, if if she's not there, I'm going to cry because <laughs> that's the appropriate response. So. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, go ahead, Kyle. Yeah, I mean the the Taylor effect is so real that we even have Al Michael speaking of that he doesn't want to feed uh, that it's it's not entertainment tonight it's Thursday night football. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think I saw there was uh photos you could tell they're Taylor Swift fans because they're spelling Kelsey K K E L S E Y with an eighty seven. They're spelling it the way it's supposed to be spelled, but yeah, not K E L C E. Last two meetings between these two teams um, last year were three by decided by three points. So, um, just a heads up there: both in Kansas City and in LA, both won by the Chiefs. Yep, yeah. Yeah. I I think the Chiefs win this game. Chiefs win this game. I think Finley's right. It will be close until the fourth quarter. When the fourth quarter hits, though, I have a feeling we're not going to know what's going to happen. And uh, I think this is also a week for Travis Kelsey to have a big week because against Denver, he he didn't show up too much after the first half, I would say. Um, First half, he was very successful. Um, But I I think he's he's due for like a 150-yard, two-touchdown game. This week, yeah, you know, 124 yards on nine catches. It's yeah. just with the effect, bro. I yeah. mean, yeah, that's I, all it is. Okay, 150 this week. Okay, so you're thinking like 12 and 150. Okay, yeah, I think a little more because last week against Denver, he was he was good, but mostly in the first half because he had nearly yeah. 100 only in the first half. Mm-hmm. Second half didn't really show up as much, but yeah. I think he has a consistent game all the way through. They that's what they need him to do. And uh, another thing about the Chiefs that we might not see this week, but in future weeks, is McCole Hardman. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's back. Um, mm-hmm. He was a weapon for him last year before he got hurt. Um, yeah. You know, I always feel like the Chiefs Chargers, um, even dating back to when they were in San Diego, was always 
a 50-50 like coin flip. And ever since they moved to LA, I feel like it's always just landed on the Chiefs side. So, like I said, I'm not betting, man, but my money's on the Chiefs just because <laughs> the history. I, I believe in patterns in sports, and this is a yeah. pattern that keeps repeating itself. I wrote a story on sports not on if there's any way the Chargers can beat the Chiefs. And the two things I mentioned was um, you got to limit the penalties. Because that's been the big yep. thing, especially from the secondary. And you also got to somehow be able to contain Travis Kelsey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are the two things. If you can do that, then I think that's the key. To, I think that's the key to being the Chiefs, period. I saw the Buccaneers do it in Super Bowl, what was it, 55? Yeah. Or mm-hmm. whichever Super Bowl was in with the Bucks and Chiefs. That's yeah. exactly what the Bucks did, and they dominated. Mm-hmm. That's all you got to do. And it, easier said than done, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. And our final game of the week features a couple of five and one teams. The Miami Dolphins going on the road to Philadelphia to take on the Eagles Sunday night football. Kyle, I'm going to start with you. How do you see this one uh, playing out? This is going to be the toughest guess of the week right here, man. I mean, this is a huge ball game. Um, I can't even give you a prediction. I think I'm just going to say the Eagles. I think I'm just going to say them because not only are they playing at home, but I love their D-line. And the thing about Miami is not only can they air it out, but they can get plenty of you know movement along that O-line. They can hold their own, and they got backs that are shifty, and they can get outside. They can, they can cut up field whenever they need to, and they got the speed to just annihilate you. But against this Eagles D-line, man, I don't know. This is a lethal unit. It's the best in the league. I hype it up all the time. It's crazy. It's just, it's outer worldly. I mean, there's like two at least Hall of Fame caliber players on this this D-line right now. Fletcher Cox being one of them. Um, Jalen Carter could be one who could be in the Hall of Fame in his future. He is definitely looking like he potentially could right now because if you look at his stats as a rookie, unbelievable. Just completely ridiculous. So we'll see if his career pans out the way that it should. But right now, that D-line, you got Brandon Graham, you got Hassan Reddick. I mean, it's just over with those guys. So I don't know. It's not like one unit can be the whole difference in the game because these two teams are so stacked, but – I feel like if there's a chance that it does, that's going to be a unit that makes a difference. You see the Sunday night game play now. Yeah, I think um, this is a big test for both of these teams. After the Eagles lost to New York, turning over the ball four times, uh, the Dolphins are maybe the hottest team in the NFL right now. I love their weapons. I love all the weapons in this game. I like both the defenses in this game. Like Kyle said, it's so hard to predict because both these teams have two stud wide receivers. You know, the Dolphins got Waddle and Tyreek. The Eagles got Brown and Devonta Smith. They both have really good running backs. Um, it, I'm, isn't Mostert playing this week? Is he back? Mostert's playing this week. He's been electric this year. Uh, DeAndre Swift is having a bit of a renaissance after having a banged up year in Detroit last year. Real toss-up. Big test for both of these teams. We'll see if the Dolphins are the real deal after traveling to Philadelphia to play the Eagles on Sunday yeah, night. Yeah. You know, we'll see mm-hmm. what two is made. I and for my sake, 
I hope he does great. I'm in two fantasy leagues this year. Um, he's been he's been really cool to watch. You know, after all the injury, all the head injuries he suffered last year, um, we weren't sure if he was even going to come back this year. Yeah, it's been a cool story, and I want I would love to see it keep going. I don't want to see him get hurt. I I, I want to see him yeah. continue to succeed because he took a bet on on himself, and he, he's proving himself right right now. Yeah. And, you like to see a guy like that who he's a good guy. You love you like to see the good guys win. And I love I'd, I'd love to see oh, and we haven't even mentioned this is a a matchup between two Alabama quarterbacks who were on the yeah. same team together. Two uh national championship Alabama Crimson Tide quarterbacks right here. It'll yeah. Be- it's crazy because I know it was like NFL rookie watch or something. They tweeted out um, all the players who were on like the 2017, 2018 Alabama national championship roster that are now on the Dolphins and the Eagles. And it's like 15, 20 names, something like that. You know, like it's just the talent that was on that team is so ridiculous. And now, I mean, this is just your marquee matchup right here. It's an Alabama homecoming in Philadelphia. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is that season, man. October's not over yet. Yeah. Yeah. Should be another exciting week of football here. Week seven in the NFL. All right. We're going to move on to fantasy. We mentioned uh, the Eagles. Kyle got uh, another spark on his team. 20 points to help him get a 187 win over Luis. Get him now in a tie for first place at five and one. Um, also winning this week was Finley, who had Adam Thielen as one of six starters to put up at least 20 fantasy points in a 138-108 win against Daniel Guerrero, our commissioner. Yeah. And I had eight of nine starters reach double figures this week, including 20 points from Stephon Diggs to beat Devin Watley. 121-110, so all three of us pulled right off wins this week. Yeah, let's go. Man, this year and this league has been a freaking struggle. I feel like I've had good weeks every week, and the person in front of me just beats me by like two points. Like you yeah. go, you you look on the standings, you know how it says the points for the points against. I'm two and four, and I have like I don't know, fifty points more for than against. I've just been, it's been rough out here, man. And Kyle, you're getting it this week. I'm telling you what. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm excited for this competition because, dude, I'll tell you what, like, it's pretty much been a breeze for me this year for the most part. Like, not not going to wood, it stays that way. But, I mean, I've been talking to Brevin about my team throughout the year. And not only that, just kind of like monitoring, like, waivers and different things like that. But I feel like this has been one of the most just fun teams I've had in such a long time just because, I mean, there's this – there's so many wild cards on this team and just juggernauts that can step up at any time. Like Zay Flowers, I hate drafting rookies, especially wide receivers on the Ravens. But he's your getting team, his looks, man. man. He's getting his look. Touchdown last week against Tennessee. Yeah, that was huge. Um, I kind of stuck to a theme in many of my fantasy leagues, no matter where I was Finley this year. I was thinking, you know, if we go Josh Allen, a quarterback, he'll be consistent enough. And if I get a Hawkinson, a tight end, he'll have you settled. So that's 
that formula is, is paying off in this league for sure. But you have a tough team, and uh, this week is is not going to be easy. I, I like that pickup you made with Zach Evans for sure. I mean, we'll see if he's the starter even. So yeah. I need somebody. You talked about the Gus bus having a good week, but they're playing, you know, Detroit's the top uh, rushing defense in the league. So I, I needed, I'd rather take a waiver or a, a flyer. I mean, on, uh, on that Rams running back. So. Yeah. I like that. I like that too, because I mean, behind Zach Evans, it's like Royce Freeman and. Hey, you know, know a lot about Royce. We know a lot about Royce. Yeah, right? we do. We do. Was high school in San Diego. Yeah. Denver Bronco legend. Yeah, he yeah, all-time Pac-12 rushing leader, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I think he played for the Ducks. Yeah, he was yeah. Mm-hmm. Something crazy like that. So I mean he's on the practice squad. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see if he uh ends up getting more carries than Evans tomorrow. But I mean, yeah, I mean you got some guys on here that could go off at any time. So it's I think it's gonna be really close. Raven, I think for you it was good to see you just get on the board last week. Yeah, it was good to get back in the back in the win column after going losing by a hundred the week before. You lost by a hundred the week before? What the heck? Yeah, to Jason. His team is unreal. Can we talk yeah. about that real quick? Yeah. That team uh-huh. is awesome. And yet he's three and three. He's three and three, but his he has the most points for in the league. Yeah. yeah. Points mm-hmm. against I think is the most. Like, ridiculous, ridiculous. Scary. Luck. You don't want. I lost him by like twenty points, and I put up one hundred and forty-six the yeah. week. I that's that's been my luck. Like, yeah, I put up one hundred and forty-six, and I play Jason, and he puts up one hundred and sixty. Right. So, tells mm-hmm. you a lot about this league. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah Brett, Brevin, that week last week propelled your playoff chances to increase to thirty-four percent. Yeah, that's big. That's a huge win. Hmm. Uh, Finley, you're at 48% right now. So you're kind of with Brevin, that middle of the pack. I mean, the, these next couple weeks are huge. Yeah. And one thing I also noticed about our league that I liked is uh, we have, have Amber Salas on top of the league right now uh, with me. 5-1 and one overall record right now. Um, but I, I think the best move of the week was our fourth place team, Daniel Guerrero changing his team name to Greatest. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I literally just noticed that like five minutes ago. <laughs> Man, so, I had Amber on the ropes one week or like a couple weeks ago. I had her by like 17 points and then she had um, Jacoby Myers. Oh, no way. I was, I was winning yeah. by 17 and Jacoby Myers put up 19. Yeah. I couldn't believe Terrible. it. Again, just my luck. And the week before that, I lost literally by one point. So it's <laughs> been mm-hmm. tough sweating. So getting back into work wow. nice. And I'm hungry, Kyle. So Oh, dude. I got my cut out for me and my team this week then, man. <laughs> yeah. And this also comes as Finley and I struck a trade this week. Um so I sent Saquon Bartley and Tyler Lockett to Finley for Chris Olave. And Tony Pollard, a tree actually went through before Thursday's game, which I was kind of surprised. I thought it was going to yeah. just go through on Tuesday. But um, that trade actually went through. Yeah, yeah. good deal. Um, I like Saquon. Um, I have him in another league that I'm doing well in right now. 
Uh, 28 total touches and against uh, the the Bills. Um, and also, I needed a I needed a running back this week. I had Derrick Henry yeah. and Pollard both as a week seven bye week. Um, and you sent me a trade. I forgot what it was for. You wanted um, Adam Thielen, and I was like, yeah. I don't want to give up Thielen, but I'll give up. Yeah. I'll give you Chris Alave, uh, but I wanted Saquon and uh, Tony Pollard. He, he was a high draft pick, but I don't haven't seen the value from right. so far this year. So yeah. um, I'm willing to take a risk on Saquon for the rest of the year uh, with Derrick Henry as my number two running back. Um, and for you, I think you got a really good running back with Tony Pollard. I mean, like I said, I haven't seen the value in him yet, but, you know, maybe that's about to erupt. And then Chris Olave, um, I just have really good wide receivers, and I was more than happy to throw that in there to get Saquon. And then Tyler Lockett. Yeah, you can tell me about him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Continue to play good football, especially with DK Metcalf being injured, you know, a little bit. Um, you know, especially against Arizona this week. Um, but yeah, I figure with gives an opportunity for a guy like Jordan Ashton possibly go out into that wide receiver two spot. Um, especially with Justin Jefferson out right now. I give Rashid Rice, Jamison Williams an opportunity there in the coming weeks. Um, but yeah, trying to add some depth to add some strength to that running back room, especially with James Connor on injured reserve. Yeah. I mean, after this trade happened, I texted Brevin and I was like, man, it seems like a fair trade. Cause I know that he was trying to, uh, make a trade with you Finley because he mentioned it to me. So I saw it. I was like, man, that seems like a very fair trade. And I think it really will be that way. It doesn't even look like that right now, but I, I think for the rest of the season, it'll appear to be that way just because, I mean, these players are all so talented, and I think you guys got a fair share of kind of just what you need, and, and sometimes you just need some new players to change things up, especially when you're below 500 in fantasy. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was a great trade from both of you guys. Who do you think is going to come out on top of it? Man, I don't know. That's tough. I mean. Putting you on the spot. So. It, it's tough because I think I don't I don't know how that Giants offense is necessarily necessarily going to pan out. I mean Barkley's going to get his looks, but I mean the injuries right now are just so substantial. Mm-hmm. But I think Olave over Lockett um, is the is the is the case. I I think I would rate him right now. I mean Derek Carr is Derek Carr. You never know what you're going to have him, but it's tough, man. Um, if I had to guess, I would probably say Brevin slightly because I think Pollard might wake up a little bit more and get more production as the year goes on because that's what happened last year. That's not a given. That's just kind of like a guess. But I think Brevin's I think Brevin slightly, but man, I don't know. That's like a really tough call. I think maybe like if Brevin does win it, it'll be like 60-40. You know what okay. I mean? Yeah, um, and like, you know, I traded Pollard in two leagues because yeah. in those two leagues I had Derrick Henry and Tony Pollard. I have Derrick Henry in every league, so. Oh, yeah, you're good. You know, I needed, I, I like consistency um, in in my leagues so that I, I don't have to look at all these different players and root <laughs> for these guys or not hey. root for these guys. I like being able to root for the same guys, so. Same. Getting safe on and. 
and getting some value that I needed for for uh, Pollard, I thought was was worth trading him away. Dude, there you go. And and like that's the thing. Like I'm just I'm just saying who who I think won the trade based off like the moves itself, but like your rosters, like you guys know what you need. So like that's that's huge for both of you guys. Like that's massive, and I feel like even more so because people in our league are usually timid to make new moves. Like we haven't yeah. seen many moves like what the past three years or so. Like, so I, I think it was good. Three of the four. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's usually Brevin leading the way. So I think, you know, it's, it's good to see a trade here and there. It's just like for me right now, it's hard to even think of a trade just because I'm five and one, but I okay. think you guys made the right move there collectively because I mean why not change things up here at this point mm-hmm. uh, you know I'm in another league where I'm one in five my team is terrible um, yeah. and I made four trades this week oh. and it felt really it was a lot of fun it was, it was <laughs> super fun I, yeah. it, like I'm I felt like AJ Proer you know, and my team, my team looks GM. And I'm hoping I can get on a run now. Um, I feel confident about this team where before I was like, it was like just trying to glue stuff back together, but yeah, I was able to, to get Devonta Smith for Debo Samuel. Yeah. Um, I don't know why he traded me that, but um, I traded away Pollard and Cortland Sutton for Isaiah Pacheco and, Amari Cooper. I, that's nice. Go. Yeah. That's good. That good. Yeah. I need receivers. Um, there's a fake, fake, there's fake currency in this league. So I traded away Wandell Robinson for nine bucks for the waiver wire. Um, yep. We like that. Yeah. It, it was just a lot of fun. Um, trades aren't utilized enough in fantasy. People like yeah. to hold on to what they have. Yeah. Um, but I want to encourage anyone watching if you want a fun fantasy year, and your team is middling, go try to make trades. Have Go talk to people. The worst they can say is no. Yeah, might as well. Yep. Uh-huh. Your team is not going to be a championship team on draft day. Yeah. Uh-huh. Not at all. Uh-huh. All right. We're going to continue on with fantasy, but from a different perspective, because we're also going to move into trivia. So we're going to do uh, two weeks ago, I did with Kyle, building our best uh, Major League Baseball team where we took random, random, random wheel generator to pick out uh best teams. You did pretty well with that. So we're gonna do with family are building our best PPR fantasy team for 2023. So active players, um, is what we're gonna go with. We got quarterback, two running backs, two wide receivers, a tight end, and a flex. So we're we doing it just for this week, or no, you can go just for the entire season. Okay. So it doesn't have to be for week seven. So it's like you don't have to worry about buys or anything like that. Okay, gotcha. You don't have to worry about Derrick Henry and Tony Pollard. Just Yeah. <laughs> and you can go in any order. You don't have to go straight down the list. But um, all right, let's go ahead and get started. First one that we're going to go with, first team. Who is that? Oh, this is going to be great here. Some decisions here now. We got the Buffalo Bills. Who would you take here from the Buffalo Bills? There's some options here. So yeah, if we go any position here, I am going to go Josh Allen because right now he is, I believe, the number one fantasy quarterback. I believe. 
I might be wrong, but uh, yeah, he he is first overall in fantasy right now, and uh, he? he's a big reason why I'm five and one. I go out and get a quarterback that can put up consistent ish numbers for that reason. Uh, my pick would actually be um, Stephon Diggs. I like it. I think he's he's a very consistent wide receiver. Um, I actually haven't been a big fan of Al. I mean, you're saying he's the number one. I, I guess I've been paying attention to number one fantasy quarterback this year. Um, but you know his receiver is Stephon Diggs, so yeah, that'll be my, that's my first pick. They're, uh, they're both number one for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is between those two players right now. I think I'm gonna lean towards Josh Allen, because I think when you think about the wide receiver position, there's more wide receivers to choose from than at the quarterback position. So locking that down with Josh Allen there for Kyle and I, Finley taking Stephon Diggs. All right, here we go. Next team that we are going with is, we're going to go with, all right, here's a challenge here, the Green Bay Packers. The Cheeseheads. Yeah. I like that. Oh, I don't. <laughs> oh, man. This team is tough to pick for. Um, uh, There's no good option here. I mean, I feel like Aaron Jones, but, like, is he healthy? I, I don't like – I'll put Aaron Jones at my flex. Yeah. Oh, we're going flex early. All right. Because I feel like I can get a better running back later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about um Christian Watson, but I feel like I can get more value out of Aaron Jones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was also thinking Jordan Love because he's only had one bad game. But yeah, we don't know. I think this is uh, a, a test for him. Let's see what he can do against the lowly uh, Denver Broncos. He'll probably go off. Yeah. Um, I am starting him in that one in five league. That's how, <laughs> that's how that league's going. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough, man. I'm, like you, like you said, I, I would easily want to go Aaron Jones here, but he's been hurt. So that's the thing. Christian Watson also been hurt. And um, I don't know. I, I don't want to go tight end this early, although I do like Luke Musgrave a lot. Um, I'm probably going to go with Finley here. I'm going to go Jones on my flex. When he has been healthy this year, he's looked pretty good. And I, I feel like we can only do so much right now. <laughs> I'm going to take Aaron Jones as well. All right. You're going to like this next team here. The Detroit Lions. Mm. Another tough team to predict. Yeah. Ooh, that's an interesting thought that I'm having. I think out loud. Um, Give me Laporta at tight end. Right. Sam Laporta. There you go. Yeah. Give me, give me Sam Laporta as well. All right. <laughs> I'll be on there too. Finley, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm in a dynasty league. The other one I was mentioning earlier, I got Hawkinson at tight end. I also have Laporta. We got two flex spots. I've been rocking with Laporta as my second flex. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've just had to. There's no Dude, way. I think are underrated in fantasy football leagues. Yeah. Two good ones, man. They're, they're, just, they're just as good as wide receivers. Yeah. Hawkinson and Laporta, I mean, those are the – uh, tight ends two and three right now. Laporte is number two. So, I mean, it's crazy. Man, I want to go a different route here. I want to go Amon Ross St. Brown here. 
I like okay. free kick. That's a free good kick. first uh, wide receiver for you. Fill down that wide Fantastic. receiver one spot. There you go. All right. Um, all right. Next team here. Ooh, this would be challenging here. All right. I don't know if you guys are going to like this or not, but we got the Chicago Bears. All right. Give me DJ Moore. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. <laughs> DJ Moore for Kyle. That's your wide receiver one, Kyle. Yeah. I mean, there's I, still a chance he can get a better wide receiver, but that's your. Yeah, but, dude, Justin Fields as my uh, the quarterback of my wide receiver one, yikes. <laughs> True. Do I want DJ Moore as a wide receiver too? Let's just run some drags and slants. Let's just hope he yeah, gets it. Listen, I, I like DJ Moore a lot. He's just been in bad situations. Like, yeah, 100%. 100%. And now in Chicago, he's a super talented wide receiver. He just, yeah, he uh, had that 200 uh, yard game a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So. All right, next team here. We've got the New York Giants. Give me Saquon. Give me Saquon Barkley. Yeah. Hey, Finley, we go that yeah. route. Me as well. I didn't think, uh, I thought maybe uh, Daniel Jones had a chance there. Yeah. <laughs> Taylor had a chance in my, in my Rod Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle, who are, you, who are you picking up here? Yeah, Saquon as well. Yeah. Saquon. Wandale Robinson's available, Kyle. <laughs> Darren what about, Waller? What about Darius Slayton? Yeah. Dude, you I forgot about Darren crazy. Waller. <laughs> yeah. That's actually not a bad um I'm gonna not a bad tight end if nope. you want I'm gonna wait on that tight end. Okay. He knows the Chiefs are coming up. No. <laughs> <laughs> He's got okay, here you go. Next team. Tennessee Titans. Oh, yeah. Give me them. Those are my two Eric, boys. Eric Henry. <laughs> Kyle and I are looking very similar right now. Yeah. Are you taking Derrick Henry too? Yeah. Yeah. I have to. All right. Um, I'll take Derrick Henry too. He'll be my flex. Solid. I don't mind playing. Mm. Well, I mean, we all got three running backs. Here. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Final. Spot okay, I need here. a quarterback. Who do I got? Final spot, Jacksonville. Oh, what? Trevor Lawrence. Oh no, he's been horrible this year. So we got Trevor Lawrence. He's been so bad. There. Um, Let's see. Evan Ingram. Tight end. Kyle. Christian Kirk. Calvin. Kirk. Christian Kirk, all right. You don't want Calvin Ridley? <laughs> he wouldn't do the parlay. <laughs> <laughs> I'd still think Christian Kirk even over Calvin Ridley. Yeah, me too. <laughs> all right. Yeah, so uh, with that, we've got, let's see. Finley's got start off with Stephon Diggs and the Buffalo Bills and went Aaron Jones. Uh, three running backs. Aaron Jones, Saquon Barkley, and Derek Henry. Got DJ Moore as his wide receiver, Sam Laporte at tight end, and Trevor Lawrence quarterback. Yeah. Um, Kyle, Josh Allen at QB, three running backs, and Barkley, Jones, and Henry, two wide receivers, DJ Moore and Christian Kirkwood. Sam Laporta at tight end. 
I got Josh Allen, Aaron Jones, Saquon Barkley, and Derrick Henry with Amon Ross St. Brown, DJ Moore, and Evan Ingram. Yeah, I think Kyle's got the best team here. You think me? Yeah. You're going to say, man, I don't know. I have no idea. Christian Kirk's a sleeper pick. Yeah. He's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's fantastic. Next team, the wheel would have spun, would have been the Washington Commanders. Oh, Sam Howell. I would have taken him over <laughs> for <Florence>, dude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sam Howell. I like Robinson, actually. He, he's been a uh, savior for me with Saquon down. Yeah, like Rob, yeah. Mm-hmm. Scary, um, Scary Terry out there. He, you know who else has been a savior was my Mr. Relevant on my 1-5 team, uh, Curtis Samuel. Oh yeah, he's he's, been he's like, actually been solid. Good, he's put yeah. up like fifteen points in three games in a row. Yeah, they're a weird team, but they really are. I don't know who's getting the touches. All right, so that's pretty much going to wrap up our show this week here with Andrew Finley. Thank you, Finley, for joining us this week. Any final words? Um. Good luck this week, you guys, and good luck in the rest of the season in uh, fantasy. Uh, may the best fantasy manager win. Cause... Yeah, we will, see, we will see me and Finley this week, man. Let's go. Yeah. Yes, no, thank it. you. Hey, thank you guys so much for having me. I always love yeah. coming on here. I've been really, really busy recently with school and coaching and, and teaching and all that, but uh, being able to come on, you guys made time this Saturday. Um, I Dude, really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Uh-huh. We appreciate you, man. Always a pleasure. Always yeah. great time. Uh-huh. Finley is also a coach at Ramona. Um, so uh, good luck to Finley this week. One more week of the regular season before the playoffs begin um, in two weeks. Hey, Finley, how how are the dogs looking this year? Um, we we've had we've had our high points. We've had our low points. We're we're at a low point right now. We uh we just lost another league game. Uh, we we also lost our running back for the year with a broken collarbone. He was a catalyst on that team. Uh, we may have lost our middle linebacker to a toe injury. This was after we lost our stud um, wide receiver and DB to a broken collarbone as well. We we have pieces to win, um, but those guys were definitely guys that were were big for us. And Man. It, it's tough, you know, in any league, any team. Uh, when you have injuries, it's it's tough to to fight back from those, but we're gonna have to find a way. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, for sure. Finley, we thank you for joining us this week. We thank all of you for tuning in. Next week, we'll talk more sports. We'll talk some NBA opening night, um, like we talked about at the top of our show. We'll talk some more baseball. We'll get into World Series next week, um, as well. So stay tuned for all of that and more for. Andrew Finley joining us for Kyle Betts. I'm Barbara Honda. We thank you for tuning in this week and we hope you'll listen next week to another episode of Down the Line.